the, so uh, I'm going to share my thoughts about about the industry I am in because I believe this is going to be the most exciting industry for next 20 years. And I think uh, we need a lot of young people who are paying attention to this industry. Sure. First of all, uh, thank you guys uh, for having me here and uh, congratulations uh, on, on your big initiatives and uh, we really wish you good luck uh, and uh, hopefully it's going to be a very successful podcast series for you guys. Yes, uh, Forward AI, we started Forward AI um, during pandemic uh, because well, I got an opportunity to work with hundreds of small businesses to help them get their PPP loans. And there were a segment of the society, a group of these small businesses, they needed more than PPP loans that time. And they, they needed help from the banks. But as you know, the way banks work today, anytime you need to apply for a loan for the banks, they take days and weeks and months sometime to make a decision because banks are still looking at your traditional P&L balance sheet or productions. But if I'm a small business owner, I may not have it. And uh, as you know, landscaper or roofer or plumber, you know, they don't have that kind of data. So what's happening, in, uh, it caused cash flow problems for these small businesses to get timely funding from any of the banks in, in the US market, as you know, most major lenders, they, they serve only around 12% of the market, you know, only 12% of the SMBs are able to get any kind of funding from these major banks in, in the US market. Yes, if you look at the local community banks or fintechs, yeah, ratio is a little bit better, but still uh, the, the, we, a lot of work has to be done on that side. And we saw the primary problem was the banks or any lender who wants to help these small businesses, they're not able to help them because they didn't have real-time visibility into the financial data of these businesses. So because before that, uh, for, before founding Forward AI, uh, I was the founder of a company, a IT company in Canada that was one of the largest company in Canada, providing consulting to accountants and bookkeepers and, and CPA firms. So we had a great exposure of how to get the data from the accounting system or ERP platforms. And so we, we rebuilt the technology. We knew what we have. So we re-engineered everything, what we knew, and built a solution and built a solution, single API, that will connect to 17 all major accounting systems and ERP platforms that we have today and, and offer that APIs to lenders, so financial institutions, so that, so that they can make real-time decisions based on the data. So that's the, that's the genesis of Forward AI, and that's how we started over the time we, we saw uh, we can do more than that, and, uh, and uh, I would be happy to share about Forward AI as well. So it's more so a push toward automated underwriting so that businesses that are just starting up can access capital right away 
without necessarily having to go through all the red tape of this analyst asking for P&L, balance sheet, statement of cash flows, things like that. And that's right, you know, as you know, you uh, you have business uh, study background, as you know, you know, 82% of businesses do fail because of cash flow problems. If you look at cash flow, you know, that's the oxygen uh, or that keeps a business going. If you look at any business, uh, they don't understand the difference between cash flow and profits. And, um, we work with a lot of accountants and and many times, you know, they, people get confused. I have so much money sitting in the bank, but you say I still don't have cash. Yes, you don't have cash because you, you still need to pay these, uh, all the bills and taxes and those things. Most businesses, they think, you know, revenue is, is the most important thing. But the truth is, uh, revenue is uh, just a top line item on any income statement it's not the most meaningful thing it's good to have it uh, but it's not the most important thing mm-hmm. it doesn't show you how profitable you are and, and and the thing here is even if you are profitable that doesn't mean that you have money in the bank to to pay your bills to pay your employees many times you know bills uh, or the payment is stuck uh, in, in the your check is still in the mail and you still haven't received the cash and about, you, uh, the cash flow you know if you don't have cash in the bank you won't be able to do the payroll uh, or let's let's say you are a restaurant and you would like to add new tables or or for uh, or buy inventory for upcoming christmas time you can do those things if you don't have cash in the business the most important thing that a business going is is the cash. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing people need to monitor. They they, they need to watch it. And the truth is, mm-hmm. if you look at the business owners, more many of them are making their decisions based on the intuition or gut feeling, mm-hmm. but they are not looking at the data. And now we, we provide a single API that, that can give them access to that kind of financial data so that they can look at their accounts receivable, accounts payable, any bill need to be paid, any outstanding payments, those kind of things. But you're not just providing this API. You also have Forwardly, which allows real-time payments for these small businesses. So traditional ACH can take one to three days to clear, but now you're giving small businesses the opportunity to process their payments immediately, which is a huge cash flow benefit. But Mm -hmm. there's still a lot of hesitation for some businesses to move to payment rails like FedNow um, because Mm -hmm. for various reasons, it could be costly, things like that. So what what is a small business's calculus? Like what are they weighing when they decide to go with a platform like Forwardly versus just traditional check or ACH? That's a very interesting question. And uh, honestly, I don't feel it's it's a problem on on the business's uh, side. Uh, I think it's a problem on the provider side. If you look at the real-time payment, uh, uh, a product of of TCH, uh, and they haven't done any promotion. You know, if you go to any any bank, they, they you don't see any sign about ITP. Uh, you don't uh, that kind of service is not even available uh, on the website. It's hidden somewhere on the website that you have to ask and and request it. And uh, I think. Uh, so far, if you look at uh, at, at the FedNow or ITP, if you look at them, 
they are more like a back-end technology. That's a bank-to-bank infrastructure highway where the money can move really fast. Okay? So that, that's the kind of technology we have. And I think with the launch of Fed now, it's going to create more awareness. Uh, and because now smaller banks that have been a little bit hesitant, I would say, to join the platform that is owned by the big banks, as you may know, QCH is owned by big banks, so 20 plus all largest bank in the U.S. market. And uh, so smaller banks, you know, they there was some, uh, you know, hesitation to join that kind of platform. But I believe with Fed now being here, they are going to join this platform. We, we expect uh, that, uh, as you know, it was launched just a few months ago. And I believe the number is going to be doubled or maybe tripled within a year mm-hmm. because of the effort that, that is Fed now is making and the promotion they are doing. And just because we know, based on the history of Fed, you know, any time uh, Federal Reserve, you know, they decide to support a technology or, or initiatives, they go full throttle on that. Yeah. So they are going to take steps and they are going to ensure that market adopts this kind of technology. Uh, I I don't know if they will have the success uh, uh, of UPI or picks that we see in other countries, but definitely uh, it's going to be market driven. And I, I believe uh, it, as we see, you know, as, as we see today, many or most of major banks, they already support faster payments through ITP, right? And over the time, we are going to see uh, these smaller regional bank or community banks, they were gonna see that their their larger counterparts are offering this kind of services. Mm-hmm. So we'll see, you know, these smaller banks, they're going to offer those kind of services too. Uh-huh. The problem today is uh, there's a bit of friction here too, you know, if you look at community banks, traditionally they, they treat themselves uh, as a commercial lender. And uh, they think their job is to to finance a warehouse uh, or, a big lo- or a local business. But uh, uh, truth is, uh, you know, they make a lot of money from their corporate customers and uh, their clients are going to request it. And uh, if they don't provide these smaller banks, they're going to lose customers to these larger counterparts. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they, w- they, don't, they wouldn't like to have it happen. So I believe smaller banks are also going to adopt these faster payments or Fed now, and uh, based on my interactions with the, with uh, other industry players, there's a huge interest. If you look at the core banking providers for the banks, uh, who like uh, Jack Henry or, or FIS or those one, they they are taking initiative to offer all these faster payments to their clients. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of time. Fed now is just not even a, I guess just a. One month old now. It, it no two months now. Yeah. Two months old. Uh, so so it needs some time, and we we will see the similar adoption like the UK and other markets too. So I know you mentioned earlier that eighty two percent of businesses fail because of cash flow problems. So with the emergence of Fed now, since you have the Federal Reserve backing that, and you also have, for example, the OCC Charter, which helps these fintech firms operate as national banks. Do you think that traditional banks are going to be more lenient and, I guess, more open to working with small businesses? Traditional bank, uh, banks are always more open to working with smaller businesses, uh, but, but they are uh, limited in the services that they can provide, right? 
uh, and uh, they they always want to help their customers. I think the traditional banks uh, they they are going to wait for certain things. Uh, first of the technology, how how technology evolves uh, for them. Like I, I talked about core banking providers, they are working on it, right? But the truth is, uh, if you look at smaller banks, uh, as you know, with the Fed now, uh, one other challenge that I see here is they need to maintain some kind of a liquidity account uh, or master account with the Fed now, right? And that may need 5 million or 20 million, maybe 50 million, depending upon the bank size and the number of transactions they do. But the truth here is, most smaller banks, they don't have that much money, extra money. Mm-hmm. And they, and if you look at smaller banks, you know, any kind of, a, look at the tech stack, you know, they take years and years to upgrade and it's a time consuming process and projects get delayed again and again. So that is also going to play a role here. The way they do, way they handle the tech stack and uh, uh, li- uh, limited capital. Most banks, you know, they, they have just enough capital to, to finance their operations. Unless we see something like what happens in SWIFT. Like in SWIFT, you know, they, these smaller banks, they, they work through their major bank, uh, uh, what do we call them, intermediary bank uh, or, or, or partners. So SWIFT, uh, smaller banks, they don't need to have an account with SWIFT and they work through the intermediary banks. And uh, that kind of business model might evolve too in the US market. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see how it happens, what happens in the next year or two, we are going to watch it. And other thing you might know that with faster payment is, is, is the, there comes the faster fraud. Mm-hmm. And uh, smaller banks, they're going to monitor the space what happens on on the EWS or earning warning system or what kind of fraud ratio is there. Mm-hmm. Good thing is we have some examples how, because our technology is very similar to push payment that we see in the UK and European market. So we have some, some examples how to handle fraud and how to, how to resolve these customer inquiries or those kind of things. So in my view, all these things are going to play a role. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask more specifically about the Canadian ecosystem versus the U.S. I, we're, we're not incredibly familiar with the, the Canadian ecosystem, but does it strongly mirror the U.S. ecosystem? Or what are some major differences between Canada, which like Toronto is the major hub, versus the mm-hmm. U.S. where you have San Francisco, Austin, New York City, all these big mm-hmm. cities? Like what? What are some of the main considerations for someone who might want to work in fintech in Toronto, for example? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Canadian uh, fintech system is very similar to what we see in the U.S. Uh, you might have heard of uh, of a successful companies in in Canada, like like a Wealth Simple or Shopify or those kind of companies. They they are leader in in the fintech space. Uh, <clears throat> The biggest problem what we see in Canada, you know, uh, what we see, even though we are a technologically advanced country, uh, but uh, many times our companies, you know, they move south of the border, uh, just like Forwardly or Forward AI is, we are a U.S. company, even though uh, all our founders, they are based in Canada right now. Uh, so we have seen uh, as soon as these Canadian companies, they start to grow, they get either they move to south of the border or they get 
uh, we get investments and uh, and uh, but we have strong initiatives from the government uh, to support the technology uh, in Canada now right now Calgary like another city on, on the west coast and they they are they are investing heavily to attract these fintech companies uh, Vancouver where I I, I live and um, we we have a strong ecosystem here uh, through BC Tech Council. I, I also try to contribute there. I'm a co-chair there. And uh, Toronto, Montreal, Calgary, Vancouver, these are hubs. And, uh, and we have very thriving ecosystem here in Canada. Yeah, so for I, I know you guys, you said you uh, Forward AI is based as a U.S. company and you have founders in Canada. So I know that in mm-hmm. the Canadian market, there is a smaller number of fintech firms than in the U.S. So from just looking back at historical data, a lot of U.S. firms have scaled faster. Since you are technically registered as a U.S. company, is it easier for you to scale or do you think you are limited because you have founders based in Canada? I just wanted to know the regulations, uh, how that exactly works. Well, we we registered in this uh, as a U.S. company. Uh, there are multiple reasons. First of all, the market, as you know, is huge in the U.S. Uh, and uh, the bigger opportunity, uh, I believe, ten times bigger market than Canada. The, and and other thing is uh, our forwardly forwardly product, the real time. It's based on the real time payments. And real-time payments are currently not available in Canada. We are planning to launch it uh, hopefully by next year. And currently, the technology that we have it works only for U.S. domestic banks to bank transfer. So our clients are there, our customers are there, our technology can be used there. So all these things uh, did play a role in where the company should be based. So with with Canada, this is kind of fascinating to me that I, I didn't know that Canada didn't, didn't have RTP yet. Since it's going to be introduced, is there an opportunity for Forwardly to operate in Canada as well and kind of pioneer that offering for a lot of Canadian banks like RBC potentially? Uh, I believe so, yes. Uh, and uh, But currently we are 100% focused on the U.S. market because our solution is solving the problem um, in for U.S. businesses, because RTP is, is a U.S. bank-to-bank domestic payment, just like ACH is, right? Uh, in Canada, we expect the payment, uh, they call it RTR, real-time payment rail, I believe that's what they call it. And when it launches, yes, we'll be open to uh, to to bringing that kind of services to Canada as well, uh, and we will look for partner banks that time too. But I think it's still too early to talk about it. We we don't have any framework. We don't have much information about it. And as you know, it, it takes time for banks to evolve their tech stack too. So uh-huh. even if they, they launch it next year, you know, it's going to take some time before banks are ready to support it. That kind of harkens back to, to the internship that I did at a bank mm-hmm. in the past where it seemed like their tech stack was so outdated. Is this like a really common theme among most banks where they're using very outdated technology? I mean, and why? That that doesn't make sense to me, like that there are these companies out there that are handling billions of dollars of transactions every day that are still using this antiquated technology that, I mean, some banks still run on Fortran, which is an old programming language. I know, I know. Fortran or Cobol or those who, yes, yes, it's a huge problem. 
uh, and uh, you know, but that's the reality. Uh, there was a survey that only 18% businesses they are happy with with their banks because you you work in the bank and you know the tech stack. And uh, many times I have seen too uh, when we were trying to sell our API to banks and uh, we we talked to them. Oh, our technology can support this this kind of APIs. And we know that in the banks we have seen it there. The core banking tech stack didn't talk to their lending stack, and the lending system has no idea how what's happening on the payment side, and everything is happening through settlements. And uh, when I said, you know, so many 82% of businesses are not happy with their bank, they trust them a lot for sure. You know, we have we have absolute trust in the U.S. banking system, uh, but uh, you know they are not really happy banks uh, are not able to provide them any kind of delightful experience and because their tech stack is fragmented disjointed and it's very hard to serve you know in, in some kind of a good experience like forwardly provide or venmo provides you know the new generation of apps that are built on modern technology and i think that's a challenge and that's always going to be challenge, you know, with the banks work, you know, they are more focused on, on regulatory compliance and making sure, you know, uh, they, the, there is minimum fraud and, uh, and, and any kind of a technology upgrade at the banks, it, it's a time consuming and, and money, a lot of money is needed to any, any kind of technology upgrades, you know. That's the other challenge, you know, we see out there. So um, we've seen the boom of AI recently in, in so many different spaces. It seems like yeah. if you mention AI to a VC, you're going to get, you know, 50 times valuation at the seed stage, which is which is crazy. Uh, but there's a lot of AI companies out there. There was news about ChatGPT and how mm -hmm. uh, Microsoft was planning to uh, invest more into them at like a $90 billion valuation now, which is mm -hmm. pretty ridiculous for the amount of cash they're taking in. Uh, definitely not mm -hmm. substantial of a, a $90 billion valuation. So there's this huge AI boom that's impacting everything from financial services to insurance to whatever it may be, real estate. What's, what's the next big wave after this, in your opinion? Well, I think uh, there's still a lot of work need to be done on the AI space, you know, and, and even though, uh, you know, we love ChatGPT, but, uh, well, let me step back, you know, I about AI too. You know, I have been monitoring this space for almost 15, 20 years, and we have some kind of AI intelligence in our cash flow forecasting app as well. But the thing here is that, uh, I would say this chat uh, GPT or generative AI that we have seen is the first real, real promising use of the AI that we have seen. Okay. But but we still need to do a lot of work on that one. We I think uh, it, like we work with a lot of accountants and bookkeepers, and I think most of the useful use cases they will come not from the Microsoft Copilot or those kind of apps. It will be those. Uh, industry targeted apps that are going to solve the problems deeply for that specific industry. And we are not there yet. 
Uh, and uh, I believe it's still, I know we have seen, uh, if you look at the chat GPT, it, it's, it's mind blowing. It is definitely a huge improvement uh, that we saw what we had over 15, 20 years. But I think uh, still uh, we are at least five years, maybe 10 years away from it's where it's gonna automate uh, most of our things. So, or we will we will be solely dependent on AIs. Uh, you know, not only it, it it could replace the people, you know, in the lower end jobs and people where there's a lot of manual work is being done. You never know; it, it might replace CEOs of the companies over time. Or uh, it, you know that that the way the innovation is going, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but that's the I think we still need to do a lot of work. And currently, I think it's a more, we're in the hype cycle too, a little bit, you know, when you talk about the VC investments in, in the AI, just like we saw we had in the blockchain and NFTs a few years ago. And, uh, but for sure, AI, I am more optimistic about AI than, than what we, we had before about NFTs. <laughs> so these, I think uh, my my bet is still on the on the AI side. We still need to do a lot of work on that side. Mm -hmm. But it's just so incredible seeing where artificial intelligence was five years ago. To now, yeah. there's people running entire scam operations, you, like mimicking people's voices and and like making it seem like one of your loved ones is calling you. I mean, it's yeah. it's like there's innovation on both fronts. There's innovation on the yeah. fraud side. But the fraudsters mm -hmm. are getting better as well. They're using AI against yeah. people who are using AI to stop fraud. So it's kind of like a, right. it's kind of a catch twenty two. I think it's an incredible development in the space, honestly. You, you know what? You know, I was very happy. You know, I, I called my bank and from my phone, and they knew that I'm calling from my mobile phone, and they could recognize my voice, and they didn't ask me any security questions. And I asked them, "Hey, you know, you didn't ask me who is calling." They told me, oh, we, we did some kind of voice recognition. That was two years ago. And and now we got an email from them, oh, no, we are not going to do it anymore. <laughs> Just because, you know, the fraudsters are doing better job than the banks can do. Or, or, you know, there will be always, you know, a, you know, fraudster, you know, the game will be going on because anytime a, a new technology is being built, you know, it, it attracts people from all spectrums and they, they will always be there. You are right, you know, mm -hmm. voice recognition. You know, uh, I have seen, you know, you can make sales calls and uh, I have heard within within a few seconds of your voice, uh, uh, voice recording on YouTube or podcast, people can mimic your voice. You know? yeah. That's the technology. Yeah, but can most people today. tell? Can't you? I, when I see a video of someone that is mimicking someone else or impersonating someone else but using AI, I feel like you can tell. You can you can tell that it's AI generated. Even if you search up a chat GPT response to something, you can tell that it's AI generated because it sounds so AI, if you get what I mean. Well, the thing here is you can tell maybe... Um, because these uh, these AI tools, they can mimic maybe 80, 90%. But problem is when they, when they talk to you, they, they create a situation where there's an emergency and it's a time sensitive and things need to be done in now. Yeah. And uh, they create that kind of situation. And the reality is when you hear that your, your dad is in a trouble or, or your son is in a trouble and they need help, 
your mind stops working and and those kind of you know thinking you know people have to make mistakes those kind of romance scams and they have been happening and uh, truth is you know i i have i have listened to some calls and they look i have listened yeah. to real person call and the uh, calls that were made by ais and they they are 80 90% very similar yeah. and i can tell you if there's a little bit noise you are at them at a shopping mall and you wouldn't be able to recognize who is calling you as long as they they can spoof your cell phone and they can they know the names and you know i think scam scammers uh, are doing a pretty good job than them and uh, the te- technology is helping them a lot today mm-hmm. to do their job you know there was a time when we could so for day for ai really prides itself on being a fully remote team and we we talked a little bit about how the human side of things is really valuable and like what's what have been some of the challenges with operating a fully remote team as a startup and like is facetime valuable and and what what challenges do you run into and how do you work around those yeah so i think the biggest challenge we we face is you know you know i i was kind of person who never thought that we will be working remotely until the pandemic uh, was here and that that put us in a situation where we thought we can work remotely and uh, the biggest challenge we face is, is you know uh, in an office you know i was able to get out of my room and talk to my co-founder and meet with them we were able to sit in a, in a boardroom and and plan things we are not able to do those kind of things anymore so how we are replacing it uh, luckily my co-founder he lives very close to me and many times we go out for a walk and we uh, we we discuss things internally what what need to be done but regarding employees i believe you know we 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 don't have those kind of uh, uh, ability to do kind of cooler uh time talk uh, and uh, and kitchen talk kind of thing but i think uh, over the time we have learned how to how to work efficiently efficiently and effectively uh, and i think uh, thanks to these new tools that we have these remote tools like uh, this uh, microsoft team one of the best thing we i think it's a great collaborative tool mm-hmm. and uh, anytime we do we have our own meeting uh, we we like people to be on, have the video camera on mm-hmm. um, you know uh, in our uh, we we have heard the story heard these stories that people wake up 5 minutes before 9 am and uh, you know <laughs> they are still rubbing their eyes and they show up there and five people were on the call and uh, one person is talking and the one person is sleeping at the same time <laughs> so uh, you know we have heard those kind of stories but the truth is uh, there are people there are good people who can work very efficiently remotely that's what we have found yeah. uh, and only thing you need you need is a, is a tool and process and so that you know people can work efficiently like we use uh, for our task management we we have this tool like monday dot com and uh, very very effective we can see what's happening whether we are able to meet deadlines or no uh, i know there will be a very very tiny tiny segment you know who will ha- always have difficulty working remotely but i think most people are good people uh, they as long as they are organized and they can plan things and they they are accountable 
and then I think a remote work is going to stay here. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are challenges and companies are find, finding a way to how to personally connect with the team members, go out for a lunch if they meet and live in the same city or, or organize their events in a quarterly or yearly, like the way we do. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to stay here for, for a while. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's industry specific? Because I know a lot of tech jobs, a lot of people have started becoming fully remote. And in other industries, that's not exactly the case. They think that it affects the culture of exactly how they're getting things done. So it's not even in an efficiency standpoint. It's more of the culture of the workplace. So in other industries, people want to come in because it just it relates to the industry specifically. But in tech, it's different. So do you think there's a parallel there or...? Yeah, I think uh, industry also plays a role, definitely. Uh, I was talking to another CEO, and they they are a manufacturing uh, facility, and they had a hard time bringing their accounting team in the office, the software developers. But but the engineers who need to work on those production lines, you know, they, they, or, or the team members there that, that, that need to be in the workshop, they are still visiting those offices. Yes, there's a gap, and I think it will be dependent upon the functional areas that you are involved in, uh, and that is also going to play a role. Yeah, if you are a software company, a knowledge worker that can do your job remotely, uh, I think uh, this would always be an option. I know a lot of companies are focusing on two days work in the office or three days work. Yes, it's it's a good initiative to try, but I think you know people have moved on, and uh, yes, now I think the better option would be bringing all these team members together uh, f- for a week or, or maybe twice in a year, three times in a year, so that people can bond with each other, they can learn more things, and and the only people who maybe the people who like like I am I'm deeply involved in in product planning. And uh, how the product need to be built, and that that needs a lot of interaction with different team members. How do we tie these different loose ends? And I certainly feel you know if we would have been all sitting in one office, and we could have been definitely done things way faster than we have been able to do. But still, you know, it's taking time. It, it, it takes a lot of time back and forth, uh-huh. just because you know you know anytime you need to make a meet someone you need to send them a, a calendar invite and book 20 30 minutes on your calendar and you know whether you end up early that five minutes are gone but uh, you know that that would be always a gap but uh, i think uh, these are this is a new new reality and we are we are adjusting to that one mm-hmm. I have more of a personal question, more to our members. Uh, we have mm-hmm. a lot of people in our organization that don't want to go down the traditional route of being a consultant for five years and then moving on to this and working for someone else's dream. They want to go and they want to start something on their own. But for them, as a college student, it can be difficult to spend that much on rent to have an actual physical office. So they might follow a model similar to yours where they're going to have a remote team from some people in Argentina, some from the U.S., some from India, some from all over the place. So what's Mm -hmm. a piece of advice that you would give to another starting CEO, potentially a young college student who's leading a remote team? 
Well, uh, like I shared, you know, most important thing is the planning. You know, anytime you you have a team uh, and uh, planning and getting organized and hiring people who are accountable and dependable, I think that's the most important thing. Uh, as a CEO, I am only as good as my team member, like Jane, you know, she is the one who moves the needle, right? So these are the kind of people who make things happen. So most important thing is, you know, hiring qualified people. And so, and second thing, providing them the tools so that they can work efficiently remotely. Like MS team or, or Zoom calls remote, you need to have face-to-face meeting. You need to have some kind of task management system as well, uh, so that you can you can monitor them. And the uh, other thing, you know, you need to get out of the mindset that people need to be in the office from nine to five thirty or five or six p.m. Whatever it is, right? Um, because we need to measure the performance based on the delivery uh, instead of uh, how many hours they are spending. And uh, I know in the early days it, it's difficult for many CEOs, uh, including myself. Uh, but but over the time I learned the most important thing is to measure is whether we are moving ahead or no, whether we are me- meeting our milestones or no. And if the person is doing in four hours or eight hours, it doesn't matter. As long as they are meeting expectations and uh, and give them give them freedom to to do their work and trust mm-hmm. them because uh, you cannot you know ask them to report you every 15 minutes or so and keep following up just trust them that and uh, that and I think most people in this world you know they're capable person if they are given uh, authority to make decisions they will be able to deliver on the things that you need. What. So as a CEO, you often have a vision when you're starting up a company. You see something out in the world that really sucks, and you're like, I could do this better. I could improve this space. But the challenge that I've run into starting this organization here at Indiana, and the challenge that you've probably run into as well, is getting other people to see that vision, and how do I communicate that vision to other people so that they follow in the same footsteps that I do, and they actually help me instead of potentially hindering me on this vision. So Hmm. what are some strategies that you've found throughout your many years of experience leading organizations that uh, helps your employees see that vision that you have in your mind? Yes, uh, and I think that that's a very challenging task, you know, as a CEO, you know, one of my job is to stay up to date on what's happening in in the domain. And bringing that kind of expertise to my team and making sure my founders are fully onboarded on the idea what we are building, what we are working on, whether this is the direction the world is going to move on. Uh, and very important and, uh, you know, to watch where the puck is going to be. And the best thing to do is, you know, bringing what I do is uh, like here, you know, we, we have our daily meetings and weekly meetings where I, I try to bring team members on board uh, where we are keeping them up to date. And for other remote teams, uh, I also organize uh, our monthly meetings as well uh, so that uh, we we have kind of a system where people can ask all these questions through. Uh, they can submit those questions beforehand so that we can we are ready with the answers. And Truth is, in the world is moving really fast, and uh, and uh, and 
most important thing is people who who don't interact with the ceo on day to day basis and we have seen many times they get disconnected and because they don't know what what company is building and why it's building how it's going to be used uh, and uh, because they they have knowledge of only a certain element or the or area that they are building or coding and it's very important what i have found is if the person knows what we are building why we are building it and how it's going to help our customers and then i think it it makes them more excited i think those are the kind of things that are important to keep any company moving forward that's so amazing that that it's just it's really difficult to ingrain that vision in in other people and it's just so awesome to hear that that piece of advice for for young founders I sadly we've reached the end uh but I do have one last thing that I do for we're going to be doing for everyone who comes on and it's our one last piece of advice. Um a lot of our listeners are probably freshmen, sophomores, juniors at Indiana who may not necessarily have as much direction in their life. It's the world places a lot of pressures on people for them to have it all figured out by the time they're 18, 19, 20 years old. And for those of you that might have zoned out a little bit or didn't fully understand some of the things that we talked about today, Nick, I'd just like if you could give our listeners one piece of advice, one thing that they could do today that would get them closer to being a successful person in, you know, relationships, in professional life, whatever it may be. What's one thing that they could do today? start doing today that would make them a better person and more successful overall. Yes, so uh, I'm going to share my thoughts about about the industry I am in because I believe this is going to be the most exciting industry for next 20 years. And I think uh, we need a lot of young people who are paying attention to this industry uh, and uh, fintech, you know, you can move into payments or banking or, or lending, you know, treasury uh, management whatever your your choice is and great thing is today you know there are there are part-time courses that you can take there are so many uh, fintech podcasts just like yours that these people they need to listen they need to listen to other people and many time we talk about the plumbing blocks you know how the technology works like today we talk about the fern now or real time payments like a it's a bank to bank infrastructure like a super highway that we didn't have before we always had ach and and learn about how these technology works and good thing you know attend those courses to listen to these podcast to talk to your peers to reach out to company founders like us how we are doing it and many time you know we like i uh, i also uh, offer mentoring services too Uh, and you know there are many CEOs who who are there to help you out or, or understand uh, understand how the industry works. And once you understand it, and then you can you will be able to build a future here in the direction you want to go. But but it's a huge market, mm-hmm. and believe me, you know this is the one industry that that's going to grow faster than anyone any other industry that we are seeing out there. So invest some time into that one. Uh-huh. Watch these YouTube videos that are out there. There's so many good blogs out there. Uh, there are newsletters. There are fintech-focused newsletters like fintech takes. You know those kind of newsletters. You know they 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 make you aware of what's happening in the industry. 
and I think uh, they all have they are all going to help you become a better entrepreneur and uh, build the solution that you would like to build to solve this any problem you would like to solve. That's so inspiring. Uh, I hope our members take that to heart. It's such a big space and there's so much to learn. Uh, but Nick, thank you so much for being on today. It was a really amazing conversation. Uh, yeah, do you have anything to say? No? I thought it was, I thought it was pretty great. I would say though that if for that for that whole segment you were talking about with starting a startup and then creating a remote team, especially as a college student, I think that especially with what you did, because I know that you, what you were what three four businesses in when you started uh, Four Day I, right? So I would yeah, say yeah. that with a lot of people, especially in college. The thing is, you have you have so much limited capital. I think that everyone who starts young, their chances of creating a successful business are much harder because the maturity gap between people that are 19 or versus people that are maybe 28, 29 in the startup space, they're not willing to go to the same level you are. And if you are really that committed, finding other people that are also that committed and then going against all the odds, especially when you have that eight-year maturity gap, I think that is really something that is, I guess, not not as much discussed, especially in the startup space, because I'm assuming most founders are in their late 20s or so that really make it big like you did. So, yeah. And, yeah, you are right, Eric. And I believe this is the best time to start any company. And this is, we have the technology in our hand. You can build a company part-time today. Uh, and you can invest into that. Even if you fail, you will have wealth of knowledge to build something in the future too. Mm -hmm. uh, and so go out and, and start something. Thank you so much, Nick. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me.